You are in the ring with Hector Galon, seven-time national boxing champion turned nonprofit president and CEO. Hector knocks out the big issues facing social services today with high-impact leaders from around the U.S. In the Ring is a creation of Lutheran Social Services of Wisconsin and Upper Michigan and is produced by No Studios. And now, here's Hector Galon. Hello, 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 and welcome to In the Ring with Hector Colon, the show that gets real about the challenges we face in the social services sector and the people we serve. Here's the bottom line in our sector. Pay is not commensurate to the value our colleagues provide society. The complexity and the challenges with the people we serve needs to be supported by new or enhanced service delivery models, and the financial viability of our sector is in jeopardy. It's not a fair fight. That's why this year we're going to take on these issues with true champions who are ready to get into the ring with me. As my coach Shorty used to say, let's go, champ. In the ring today with me is my dear friend, Susan Dreyfus. Susan is a deeply committed humanitarian, one of the best minds the sector is blessed to have. Her impressive career spans across health and human services in Wisconsin Washington State, and really across the nation. Susan served as the CEO of the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities, now Social Current, where she worked hard to position the sector for excellence, distinction, and influence so that all impacted can thrive. She led a historic strategic merger with the Council for Accreditation before stepping down as the CEO in 2021. Currently, Susan is living what she calls her second act, spending more time with her husband of 44 years, her family, and five grandchildren. She is engaged in her church and enjoying consulting practice with leaders and organizations committing to achieving breakthrough results through the lens of equity. Susan, I love you so much. Thank you for being on the show with me today. Thank you, Hector. But I have to first thank you for doing this and thank Lutheran Social Services. I've known LSS now for over 30 years, um, and it go, we go way back. Uh, and I'm so pr proud when I see a, sect a sector leader like LSS who understands that the paramount responsibility of our sector, whether it's for one child, one family, one community, one state, one nation, our paramount responsibility is to advocacy and influence. And this podcast is a wonderful example of LSS stepping into the ring and making sure the vo your voice is being heard. So thank you for doing this. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Susan. So are you ready for round one? Hey, let's go. Susan, you have a passion for advancing change to ensure that all people can achieve their fullest potential and thrive. How are you feeling about this, especially over the last few years and moving forward? You know, it may surprise you and your listeners. I am very hopeful. I've probably more hopeful than I've ever been in my career, to tell you the truth. And that goes back, you know, multiple decades. And I'll tell you why. I think it's, it, it's all about the pandemic and its acceleration of a number of forces that I believe not only create some very significant challenges for our field and for our sector, but immense opportunities for our nation to truly get at some of the underpinnings of inequity in our country and what creates them. I think this next decade can be our field and sector moment 
but it's not going to be without pain because we are going to have to change in the process. So I'm feeling very hopeful, uh, but at the same time, I don't underestimate the challenges in front of us. And I think at the end of this decade, we, we will come out of it a very different sector than we were going into it. But at the end of the day, Hector, if it means the lives of children and families in this nation are better, then that's bottom line what needs to happen. That's why I love you so much, uh, Susan, because the, your lenses are those children. And uh, how can we make their lives better? Uh, so wonderful. You know, what are some of those bigger challenges and what does the system need to do to change in order to address those challenges to bring us that hopefulness you're talking about? Yeah. Well, first of all, I have to start with pre-pandemic and post because we are all living and leading through a historic time that's unparalleled in my 64, almost 65 years of life, right? And so I have to really think about that pre and post and hopefully post coming soon, uh, but um, and how I see those trend lines shifting, right, and accelerating. Um, I think the power and speed of technology, big data, analytics, predictive modeling is simply eclipsing our ability to keep up with it, but yet at the same time, while it can create some ethical challenges that we have to be mindful of, I think it can absolutely revision us for the future in ways that are going to be more proximate to the people and the communities that we serve and support, make us more 24-7 operations, make us less office-based, make, make us, again, more proximate you know, to, to, to our work. But it's going to take investment. And it's going to take the ability for us to think very differently about not just what we do, but how we do it. Another one that I think is just a powerful new force in our field right now is the advancing neurosciences. We understand that the brain is the most important organ in our body. And what adverse childhood experiences, what adversity, toxic stress, trauma does became in full view in the pandemic when we saw our neighbors who lived in poverty, our neighbors of color, disproportionately get impacted by the pandemic than so many others. And again, I think it all comes back down to toxic stress, that steady drip, 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 and how it absolutely changes you biologically in terms of the, 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 the reason why people were much more vulnerable to the intensity of COVID than others. So that's a huge trend line that I think is just ripe for us to understand and bend that arc toward prevention because we know through the neurosciences that what it means lifelong if we don't. I think the last one I would probably um, note is what I think is the biggest disruptive force in our field and sector in this decade and into the next, and it's going to be what we're now understanding about health care and what creates health. And the social and environmental determinants of health are more important to your health and my health than all of the, all of the primary care services um, that we could be providing to people. We now know that. But what it's going to take now is for us to step up our game because in this next decade, and I know this might surprise your listeners, but in this next decade, if, our, if the social sector is not viewed as prominently and does not have as great of a lobbying force as healthcare, we are going to have missed our opportunity. But our nation right now is understanding that what creates health and well-being, which is creating the human capital of this nation, which is the economic engine of our nation, is our people, right? 
that if we don't make this investment, and it means our sector, we're going to have to up our game in our influence, in our innovation, in our, 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 our capacities, and how strong and big we become. But this is our moment because our nation will not bend the cost curve of health care, will not see increased health without our sector doing its very finest. Great. Uh, thank you so much for, for those insights. Uh, I really, you know, neurosciences, prevention, healthcare are, are really things that I agree with you. They're, they're important components to really advancing um, the health and well-being of the people we serve and really the vitality of, of our sector. Tell us a little bit about why, you know, prevention, for example. Let, let's focus on that. Why is it so hard uh, to um, generate the funding that's necessary to have these preventative measures for the people that we serve? Well, let's talk about poverty. I mean, we're now seeing data coming through that's showing that instead of, of all of these programs and services being offered, maybe what we ought to do is start getting closer to what looks like a universal income, mm. a basic sense of monetary exchange that occurs that simply allows people to reduce the stress levels in those homes when everything is hand-to-mouth living in the moment, especially housing stress. So we're starting to see the data that shows, is it really about all these programs and services alone? Or is it that we've got to get underneath the root causes of poverty and understand that we all do well when we all do well? So I I think that it's going to take a very different way that we start thinking about. We're not just going to serve our way out of this thing, Hector. If we're really serious about the outcomes we want to have, then we've got to start thinking about what really does create prevention and just take child child protection, right? A child living in a household of four with an income over under $15,000 is 22 times more likely to be maltreated than a child living with a household income of over $30,000, Right. I'm not saying poverty causes maltreatment. What we know from the neuroscience is now stress does. And most maltreatment in this country is not horrific child abuse. It's neglect. And that starts with the stresses of poverty. So we've got to, we've got to get true to ourselves that the poverty issue is one that if we, don't, if, we're, if we think we're just going to serve a way out of this thing, we won't if we don't get to the prevention of poverty. We're going to end this segment in about 30 seconds, but maybe share a little bit more about neuroscience. And is it is that about trauma-informed care? Uh, is it broader than that? Uh, just share a little bit more about that and how us as a sector can embrace that more to really improve the health and well-being of the people we serve. Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't like the use of the word trauma. I mm-hmm. think it's stigmatizing. And mm-hmm. I think we have to understand what stress does and mm-hmm. what stress does when stress becomes toxic. And what that does to us physically, what that does to us behaviorally, and all the ways that it impacts our life. And so when I, when I see the Harvard Center for the Developing Child, the work of Dr. Jack Shonkoff and his team out at Harvard, and all the ways that they're helping our nation understand what, when you create a nurturing environment for a developing child, you know, it's like you know that in those first three years of life, right, you are setting a child on a very different trajectory Um, And it's all about the neurosciences, that serve and return between parent and child, a child feeling safe emotionally and physically, and having those critical needs met at those critical milestones of life. It's all science now. And as a nation, I just keep saying, I said to Governor Gregoire out in Washington State, if you got to make one investment, 
make it in early childhood because it's our one hope. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Susan. Uh, we're going to close this round. And the next round, we're going to talk about a little bit of your experience as a cross-sector leader and share some insights uh, with us on that. Thank you. Absolutely. Let's go. Round two. Let's go, champ. As the Alliance CEO, you had the opportunity to see hundreds of leaders across the nation. What inspired you most about their work? Oh, wow. Oh, so much. Um, first of all, the larger role that our field and sector plays. Um, I, As a public sector leader, I oftentimes saw the social sector organizations as contractors vendors, not as much as partners um, as I would today if I was in my public sector role. But I also understand now there's a reason this country has this third sector, and it's not just to be providers of programs and services. It is to engage community. It is to, it is to find solutions. It is to advocate and have influence on policy, right? Um, our sector is a vital third sector in this nation, and we, we simply are not creatures of our contracts. We play a pivotal role with an in-community that should never be lost. You know, how do we convince government and just our general society about the importance of our sector? What is that true impact that we're having on the larger society, the people we serve, uh, and uh, and just the colleagues that, that work within our respective organizations. Yeah. Well, not to throw that counterpunch <laughs> uh, to our, our sector leaders who I love. I think we have to change too. Mm -hmm. um, I can't just look at my public sector colleagues and say what they need to do differently. I think in many ways our sector became very dependent on government contracting. I think we became creatures of those contracts and I think we started to define the, the, our sphere of influence as being simply those public sector payers, not the larger community, right, within which we're in. And I think we lost something um, in the process. And so I believe that right now we've got to lead from a position of strength. I think we have to be clear what our ultimate objective is as, as organizations and as the sector and come into the relationship with government very clear-sighted about why we're doing it. But if it is simply about the exchange of dollars, right, then we're not bringing our full self to the table. To my public sector colleagues, I would say, if you're not getting the most out of this sector other than this, the provision of a technical service that you're asking them to provide, you're leaving a whole lot on the table. And I'll give the example of LSS. Years ago, Bob Dewey, one of your predecessors, um, when I was running child welfare for the state of Wisconsin, Bob Dewey was at that table as a partner. He helped me figure things out. He helped me see opportunities. He helped me understand challenges. I looked at Bob as a member of my team as we were trying to change the outcomes for Milwaukee's children. So public sector leaders have got to understand that if all they see the sector for is the exchange of a service, the exchange of dollars, right, for a transactional service, mm -hmm. then you're not seeing the, all the sector has to mm -hmm. offer. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, thank you so much for, for sharing that. I've also heard you in the past say that our sector needs to operate more like a business. 
Could you expand a little bit more about that? I know there's this word out there, no no margin, no mission. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you think of why our sector needs to operate more like a business. Yeah. Well, and, and I don't know that I'd say a business um, necessarily, but I think our sector has to operate smart, right? And it, in order for us to do our very best work and to put investment in things like advocacy, to put investment in things that, that build our capacity through the lens of innovation and, 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 and technology, the things we were talking about earlier, you can't do that without margin. We can't expect our payers to be pay covering that. We've got to have margin for reinvestment back into our, our organizations. And I look at the big report we did a number of years ago with the American Public Human Services Association, and I'm so happy Tracy Waring Evans will be one of your guests coming up because she's just awesome, um, is that we understood that the vast uh, we have a high number of our social sector organizations that are operating on less than uh, 30 days of cash. That's not... That's not sustainable. And so I would say to anybody on a board of directors of these social sector organizations and to CEOs, yes, you want to have impact. You can't have impact without margin because without margin, you simply can't have the capacities that you need and the operating room for error necessary right. to be the best organization. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on mergers and acquisitions within our, our space you know, in terms of creating more efficiencies and leverage, but it seems to be kind of difficult in our sector compared to other sectors. You want to share any insights on that? Well, we need more of them. Mm. And I know that some folks listening might not like to hear that, but at the end of the day, when I look at what's happening right now, we have to understand we have a we have an emerging competitor, and that's healthcare. And when I look at how healthcare is creating these systems, the mergers, the acquisitions that are going on in the healthcare space, it's because they understand that that size is going to matter to them and their ability to not only have the success they want to have as organizations, but to have the capacities they need, right, for the performance they want to have. So I think that our sector's got to start looking at the more competitive edge we hold the greater our opportunity for the influence that we need to have and the greater our opportunity to have the capacities that we need to keep a pace of the changes. So I think merger acquisition, not, not just to get bigger, but in ways that you know will get better. The alliance's merger with, um, with Council on Accreditation, two very different organizations, but together we created more. And I think we've got to start thinking that way. And I hope that as CEOs are starting to step down like I was, starting to step down from their positions and their boards, they think this is the time. Before we just head out and start hiring that next CEO, let's take time off and think, would a merger be a better pathway forward? Not just for our organization, but for our mission. Why do you think it's so hard uh, in our sector to move forward in, in a way, as you describe? Uh, leverage, um, scalability, uh, but why is this so hard in our sector, in your opinion? Uh, well, I, I personally, I think there's, I think too much ego gets involved, and I think so much on boards, it's the question of, but this is our organization, you know? No, what we're stewards of is a mission. The organization is the, is the mechanism through which that mission is achieved. If we can create a better mechanism to achieve that mission, 
and not just for the provision of programs and services, but larger influence and capacities in our organizations, that's what we're stewards of. And I think we lose sight of that it's about the organization and not the mission. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Susan. That uh, concludes our round two. Uh, just one more round to go. You ready? I am ready. Awesome. Thank you so much. In round three, we're going to focus our time on discussing a little bit more on that intersection between the public sector and the, uh, our community-based service organizations. Round three, you ready? Okay. Awesome. As someone who has worked in both uh, with the public sector as well as the social services sector, you know that they are really linked uh, to one another. Any suggestions you would have on how these sector leaders could work better together? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was a better uh, public sector leader in Washington State than I was in Wisconsin. I believe I was good in Wisconsin, but I believe I was better because of the time I had spent in the social sector. I had a bigger perspective. And one of the things that I would say to new governors, county executives, um, is uh, at the federal level, people with cross-sector experience bring a different lens into the position. And I would be building a pipeline. That's something Tracy Waring Evans and I have talked about. We need to build a pipeline of those next that next generation of appointees um, into these positions because you simply don't know what you don't know. And um, I learned that from doing it, right? I think the other thing too is the conversation that we're having. Right now, the conversation too often is about a rate. It's about we need more funding. We need, um, it's about the outcomes that we're producing for a contract. And I don't think our sector brings our full self to the table. One of the things I used to like out in Washington State is when Children's Home and Aid Society, every year I could count on it and I was always willing to do it, where without coming and telling me what they needed, the CEO and several members of her board would come and sit down with me, talk to me about their vision, talk to me about what they were doing, but to also ask me what I needed. And oftentimes we're having a transactional conversation, not a strategic conversation. And I don't think that's just um, at the responsibility of government. I think our boards of directors read like the who's who of community. They have a level of access that I, don't, I think we, we underestimate and underutilize in that public sector realm. Thank you um, for those insights. Do you think that government uh, evolves at a pace that's needed to address the true needs of the people we serve? No. Um, but we why have, is that? Well, I think, first of all, we have to understand when I, I don't think government should be moving at the speed of light either, because I do think good policy is very important and the implications of it. So I respect the process. I mean, when I was um, chief of staff to Dan Finley in Waukesha County, I respected that county board process that we couldn't just go off and do what we wanted to do because we wanted to do it. Um, and it's important in, in government. So I, I get that. But I would say that part of what the, the problem is, is because we're, let's take, for example, government contracting with um, highway uh, for transportation, right? Government contracting for, with road builders. 
government is not looking at itself as being the innovator of figuring out the next generation of how to build the best road. They count on that coming from, 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 from its road builders, right? And when you look at what government pays those road builders to build us a mile of great road, they also know that they're paying for more than just that road, but the capacity of this organization to be that kind of partner. I think right now we've got too, too much of a transactional business model between us and not recognizing that there's something more that our sector brings to the table, like new ideas, new approaches, but we can't get there without a combination of philanthropy and our public sector payer creating the, 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 the capacities needed for us to up our game in that space. But road building is a, is a perfect example where government can operate more quickly because the road builders have the capacity to up their game of innovation and knowing that when they build a road, it's the best road they can build. That's a great analogy. You know, I liked when you said uh, when, when we can have more of a conversation, like what are your challenges and what are some of our ideas and how could we really co-create a vision together that's going to truly address the needs and concerns of both entities? I think more of that needs to happen. You do have some complexity of, of the policymakers, though, that might not necessarily agree. So how would you go about making sure that we can bring along those policymakers to ensure that we are on the same page? Here's the biggest impact uh, that we can have on, on the greater society. Right. But well, when I was in Wisconsin, we were Republican governor, Republican legislature, um, leading a major reform of the Milwaukee child welfare system. And in uh, just a few years, we went from 7,000 kids in care down to 2,200. So we were doing something right. Mm -hmm. And I look at um, what I did very intentionally is identified key legislators that I knew needed to be our champions and got them proximate to the work invited them out in the field, invited them to sit and listen to intake calls coming through that hotline, invited them to sit in the courtroom, invited them to go out in the field in when we were removing children from their home, whatever it was. I don't think we do a good enough job of allowing our policymakers to have the same head-heart connection that we have to the work. And so that's one of the things I'd say to social sector leaders, identify your core policy champions Get them proximate to your organization, not just for the mission moment at a board meeting. Get them proximate to the neighbors and the communities that you engage and support, and you you will have a champion going forward. I really like hey, that. Hey, I liked I said champion. Yeah, all right. All that's right. awesome. Cool. And, and you are definitely a champion <laughs> in this industry. There's no doubt. Hands down, you're knocking out those challenges. All right. And you're doing it right. Because you're not doing it by yourself. I know you, uh, earlier you challenged uh, me a little bit about how there's not any one individual that can knock out these challenges uh, by themselves. Uh, talk to us a little bit more about that. What is it going to take for us to really address the challenges that we have? And who are those individuals that we're going to need on our side to be able to do this together? Yeah. Well, I think similar to other sectors who have been able to, to create a higher pace of change, They've gone from competition to co-opetition. And I think our sector competes too much with one another. Um, we're competing for contracts, bottom line. And I think we have to understand we're stronger together. Secondly, I'd say increase that advocacy presence and voice 
We are too distributed. And when I, I, I think if we don't get our advocacy up to the level of healthcare's advocacy, we are going to have not the best sec decade that we could have um, for our field and sector and the hopefulness that I have of what's possible. So I'd say up that game of more cooperation, you know, co-opetition, co if you want to call it that, coming together because we're stronger together than apart, and be diligent in, in, in just basically saying until our advocacy and our lobbying, and I know lobbying is a four-letter word, but bottom line is that our advocacy and our influence is at the level of healthcare. Um, we're not going to get where we want to be. Thank you so much. Uh, for the audience, you heard from um, Susan, Susan, our true champion, we need to up our game. So that's what we, we need to do in order to advance uh, all that we do in the greater society. So that concludes our final round for today. Thank you so much, Susan. It's an honor and privilege to always be with you and hear your great insights. You are a true gem uh, for our sector. I'm so honored that you would take the time to be with us here today. Your insights are very valuable. Thank you so much. And Hector, thank you for being a champion for children, families, and communities across this country. Very important. Thank you so much. What a pleasure it was to have Su Susan Dreyfus as our first guest for In the Ring with Hector Colon. I was intrigued by how hopeful she is uh, for our sector and talking about neurosciences and prevention and the involvement of, of healthcare and, and uh, dissonance. You know, we have to get uncomfortable in order to advance and move our sector uh, forward. I'm also intrigued by how she said that we need to engage more uh, with the larger society. We need to be less dependent uh, on government. We need to operate more uh, as a business, being smarter. This idea of more mergers and acquisitions uh, to leverage, uh, to, to scale uh, what we're doing and to add a lot more advocacy uh, relating to the great work that uh, we do. Uh, she also talked a lot about uh, collaboration. Not any one sector can improve health and well-being in our society without each other. We need philanthropy. We need government. We need our nonprofit sector. We need business all coming together, healthcare, all coming together to improve the health and well-being of the people we serve. This was very exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to our next uh, podcast, Within the Ring with Hector Colon, which I'll have Kathy Marklin, who is the executive director of the Wisconsin Association of Families and Children's Agencies, who will talk to us a little bit more about her organization, about how her organization is Wisconsinizing some of the ideas that Susan shared with us today. You can find out more about In the Ring with Hector Colón podcast and all of our episodes on lsswis.org slash in the ring. Let us know what you think about the show and what we might want to talk about in future shows. Like, follow, and share at LSSWIS on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you can be a part of these incredible conversations we are going to have over the next year. All right. Thank you, Susan. And to all of our listeners, until next time, con mucho cariño. Bye.